All right, so about a year ago, I started on a series of Sunday School lessons, um, kind of a systematic theology, uh, just topic by topic. We looked at our statement of faith, and we started a biblical principles uh, series, and it's been a while since I've picked up uh, the, the biblical principles again, but I'd like to do that this morning. I was praying uh, you know, for the Lord to, to lead me, guide me, and, and both of the topics I'm going to bring this morning should be, are meant to be an encouragement and a comfort to the saints, and how it uplifts our hearts and our confidence, our assurance of faith, and, and our mighty God. Uh, the more that we see the might of God, the more our faith is assured, uh, because we know He is able. You know, we know that we're not, but we know that he is. And that's what, at the end of the day, that is what we put our faith in, is his ability. And he is able. So if you kind of have to go back a year, if you want to go back and look at the other topics that, that we hit, the first one we did was the inspiration of scriptures. The second one was the Trinity. The third one was creation. The fourth one was Satan. The fifth one was we looked at the image of God. The sixth one was the nature of Abraham's faith. Then we looked at, on number seven, the virgin birth and the deity of Jesus. And then this last week, this last Sunday school, we looked at the doctrine of scriptural baptism. So today we're going to look at the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election. Now this is part nine of our biblical truth series. These are things not only will you find in Metathorpe's statement of faith and what we hold to, but it's a truth which we see in the Word of God that is plainly taught. And so we bring it out and we point it out. And because once we start understanding and appreciating the truth of what it is, it will greatly increase our assurance in God's power and His God's might. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, before I, I start, I want to give credit to where credit is due. Uh, the outline which I'm using is, uh, it is an adaptation of T.P. Simmons' Systematic Theology, but it was arranged by Brother Tom Ross. And I love Brother Tom Ross. Uh, he has many books that are out, and so... Uh, when we were, when I was in Bible college, uh, we used one of his books in our classes, and this was the book, The Systematic Theology. And all he did was go and he took T.P. Simmons' Systematic Theology, and then he just kind of arranged it in his own book, in a way, and then Brother Tom Ross had his own ideas and thoughts. And it's, it's a really uh, good book. It's, it's a blessing. And so uh, the outline which he uses that... Um, you know, and that's the thing is if you have the doctrine right, all the outlines are going to kind of look alike. <laughs> uh, you know, there's nothing new about the, the doctrine. But it would be good for us to fully understand it. So Ephesians chapter 1, look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. 
according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, we're going to see several different places that the word of God teaches on the doctrine of election. But this doctrine of election is the most, one of the most fundamental principles that there is in regards to the sovereign grace of God. It is the sovereignty of God in respect to the salvation of some, of his sheep. That's what election means. It is in regards to the sovereign grace of God, to the salvation of his sheep. It only concerns a portion of the human race. Now, if we commit ourselves and understand the doctrine of election, there is going to be blessings that come from it. First of all, a proper understanding of election, it exalts God. It brings God glory. It stimulates our faith. It gives the most enduring foundation for the security of the believer. It excludes all boasting and brings humility. It brings gratitude and devotion to God. It, it provides the right motive in evangelism. When you start to understand God's election, and what it does is that way, when you are evangelizing, it's not a matter of you being a salesperson and you're trying to close the deal uh, based off of your ability to talk somebody in or persuade somebody to be saved. A proper understanding of election keeps evangelism sane. You know, it, it, we understand that... Uh, the, sow, the seed which we sow, we're not sure if that's going to be on good ground or not. Our job is just to sow the seed and let God provide the increase. So, it's not, so it, it calms us down in evangelism because we know that it's, it might be God's good pleasure to, to save them or in God's will. And so if it were not, then if it were solely based on the decision, then you might feel compelled to evangelize in a frantic uh, thinking, well, they're rejecting Christ, so they must be rejecting me. I must be wrong. I must not be doing it right. And so, uh, so we have a proper understanding of evangelism. And Paul was very careful to point that out. He says that your faith may not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was very careful not to make it a matter of persuading them through enticing words or wisdom of men and things of that nature or tactics and, and hoodwinking. He, he just presented, he humbled himself and he presented the gospel of God and depended on the power of God. He just preached the message faithfully to the truth and then let God do the increase. Um, only God can do the work in the heart. A lot of men get up and just get in the way. <laughs> They, they want to do this. They want to use that. And um, they're clouding the work that God is to do. So some preliminary considerations when we look at the doctrine of election. 
we know that this doctrine is not properly understood and received. Um, it is misunderstood, it's perverted, it's abused and opposed by many. Now, when I go over the doctrine of election, it is not my intent to abuse people who do not see the doctrine of election. Can you be saved and not believe in the doctrine of unconditional election? Absolutely. You can absolutely be saved. Seeing this doctrine is a gift of God, it's a grace of God, and once you do see this doctrine, all you can see is this doctrine from that point on. All you can see is the sovereign grace of God. All you can see is the election of the saints in eternity past. And so we don't worry, I'll define some of these terms that I'm going over. But I did want to make sure that when I discuss this, I mean, I, I, I find it a little almost insulting when men and they just, they put down people who do not see this because it's a grace of God that you do. I mean, what do you have that God has not given you? And to see God's sovereignty and the election, uh, which is of the scriptures, is a blessing because, again, it promotes our assurance in him. We see the might of God, the particular care which God has taken to secure our souls for glory and the fact he will not fail. And so we can rest in that. You know, there's no, there's no running to and fro. Um, all right. So the second thing is the doctrine of election is scriptural. It is a predominant theme. Like I said, once, once the Lord reveals this doctrine to you, it'll be all you can see. Uh, G.S. Bishop wrote, the, the Bible not only teaches the doctrine, but it makes it so prominent that if you were to get rid of election, you'd be getting rid of the whole Bible. It is so weaved throughout all the other truths. Uh, the doctrine of election has many opposers. Um, when we start talking about unconditional election, what that means is that it strips natural man of all his goodness and it humbles us into the dust. Um, to understand what the doctrine of unconditional election is, is we need to understand what total depravity is. Total depravity is we are dead in sins and trespasses. A dead person cannot ask for help. They can't do it. So it must be God who acts upon the dead who are dead in sins and trespasses. So we see that in that, if you're dead, that means that there's nothing in you. There's no pride you can take in the fact you're dead. There's no pride in the fact that you couldn't rescue yourself in any which way. There was no uh, good, good choice. Uh, versus bad choice. It was God had breathed the breath of life into you and made you willing in the day of his power. So who does that give great, who does that give glory to? It gives glory to God. Who does that put men in the right place? That puts men in the right place that we are depraved. There is not, nothing in us that is good. Now, I'm going to say the word Arminianism quite a bit, and I'm going to say the word Calvinism quite a bit. Basically, that's just two schools of theology. Uh, any system that, uh, any system of doctrine that conditions 
the saving purpose of God on the acts or merits of men is essentially Arminianism. Does that mean, now there was a man named um, Arminius. That does not mean that you necessarily believe everything Arminius taught. But it's two schools of how you fall on the fence. There's either conditional election, because you can't, you know, you can't reject the election. It's all throughout the Word of God. So you have to do something with it if you're, if you're truthful with the Word of God. So there's either conditional election, which is Arminianism, or there's unconditional election. And what that is, is any system of doctrine that the saving purpose of God is found solely within God himself to the praise of, the, the, of his own glory, to the praise of his grace. So that system is essentially Calvinistic. That does not mean that we believe everything Calvin taught. It just means that we agree with Calvin on the doctrines of grace and that uh, salvation is by God's good pleasure. It's his good will to the praise of the power and the glory of his grace. So when I say Arminianism, well, they're, they're an Arminian church. You've probably heard that before. Well, that is a church that teaches that you decide to be saved, that it is of you who comes to faith, and that you repent and believe. And can you be saved that way? Absolutely. There's all kinds of saved Arminians because it's the gospel which saves us. It's the gospel. Now, this part... Uh, Calvinistic views of seeing what we're doing is we have all experienced it that way, haven't we? We all experienced it as the Lord had broken our hearts. We came to understanding and knowledge of ourselves in the light of all holy God. And we begged God for mercy. We asked for, for his forgiveness. And that fear was settled. The peace that came that God gave us in our hearts and assurance and it uplifted our hearts. We all experienced a, a type of our decision, didn't we? Now, when we start studying the Word of God, we start studying the Word of God, then we come to find out it was all of God's work. It's from the beginning He has determined. He, from the beginning, He has chosen who would be saved. Now, He had to if you accept the doctrine of depravity because a dead person cannot ask for help. So God determined in the past who would be saved because he had to act on them. No one is coming to God of their own free choice, their own will, because we're all depraved of nature. And many places in the, the scriptures, I'd kind of jumping ahead of myself, so let me back up and, and make sure that I'm backing this up with scripture, because uh, that is where it is taught, uh, is scripture. So, so Calvinism and Arminianism are theological terms. Neither term expresses all of what Arminius or Calvin believed. Uh, they are terms that help us identify which part you're on. But there is no middle ground. So understand that. There's no middle ground between Arminian and Calvinism. Either you ascribe salvation in part to man, or you ascribe salvation entirely to the sovereign grace of God. There's no middle. So either you ascribe some part to man or all of it to God. Now, what is election as defined? Election is God's decree uh, 
to elect certain individuals unto salvation in eternity past. Before the world began, in eternity past, God had decreed, God had purpose within himself to save some. So, there's proofs that it is eternal. First of all, God is something called immutable. Immutability teaches that whatever God wills at any time, he has always willed. God does not change. We cannot change God's mind. That's many times when you go to pray, you hear that. We pray not to change God's mind, but for God to change ours. So God cannot change. What he has willed has always willed. And that just kind of almost sends my, my brain overboard, <laughs> you know, because God's infinite. There's no beginning. There's no end. It's like the circle. Uh, God had set his love and affection upon whom his sheep were. He knew us by name. He knew everything about us. And the, the amazing fact is, is he has never not. Never. Because if he ever started, that would have been a change. But God's never changed. It just blows my mind that God has always set his love upon me and his determination to rescue me. Philip Jeffries, before I was, before the star, the first star was ever hung, God had determined to save me and rescue me. And there was never a time where he didn't. Because if there was, that would imply change. And God does not change. I am the Lord. I change not. So the proof that election is from eternity past and is not based off of any kind of change in the future that happens is because God is immutable. The scriptures teach that God does not change. So if you have God changing his mind about saving somebody, then you are violating that truth. So God had determined before time. Consequently, when God saves a man, he must have always intended and purposed to save him. That must be true. That's A plus B equals C. If God cannot change and he saves you, that must mean he has always intended to. Right? Now, that purpose and intent to save him involves an election and eternity past. That is election. That's the doctrine of election. God's determination to have mercy upon some. Okay? Now, uh, with me, Romans chapter 8, we might have a part 1, part 2 to this. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to everything. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 29. Well, look at verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, who are the ones that love God? They're the called. Who calls them? Well, God calls them. And he calls them how? According to his purpose. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Now notice the order, the order of operation of God. Whom he did predestinate. What's that predestinate? That's election. Okay? That's the doctrine of election. That's him choosing. Them, those whom he has elected, them he also called. What does he do? In time he calls us, doesn't he? He calls us and we know our shepherd's voice. We hear him. And another will we not follow. And whom he called, them he also justified. After he calls you, you come to repentance and faith and belief of the gospel. And then you're justified in time. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. In time we will be glorified. What happened outside of time? Predestination. Election. God did, we didn't come to repentance and faith one day out of our own choice and then God elected you right there. No, God elected us in eternity past. Because if God had elected us when we came to repentance and faith, what have you made God do? Change. You've made him change. Who he is. You've made him change. And so that violates the scripture. Any way that you try to spin election to make it not mean what it means, you violate other places of Scripture. And so we see this, and that's why most of the time when, when we teach election, we teach on what it's not more than what it is, because you see so many people trying to excuse away. Now, notice with me in verse 29, he says, For whom he did foreknow. You know that word is a verb? It's not a noun. It's not a group of people. It's, it's a verb. It's an action verb. And that word is prognosco. That means he beforehand knew us. And that know is gnosko. It's an intimacy. It's, it's a love. So you could say that he foreloved us as an action. Not just he foreloved me because you know what, I just, I need somebody to love. No, as a love, he acted upon me with his love by determining my salvation before the world ever began. And so that is for no. It's not foresight. He didn't just have, you know, oh, I'm going to look into the future and figure out who's going to come to repentance and faith. And then, then I'll elect them. And then I'll, now, it starts to unravel, doesn't it? It starts to unravel, and I know we've not gotten to that point yet that I'm going to, I promise, but, but let's stay on this. He knew and loved me before he ever created the first star. And doesn't that just give your heart amazing worship and adoration to the Lord that he has at never at any point not loved you and determined to save you, redeem you, and call you to himself, and then justify you, and then one day glorify you, and you will be with him forever and ever and ever in glory. And it's not because of the good which I have done. It is by his goodness. It is by his good grace and to the praise of his grace. There's the ultimate thing. It says that there will no flesh be in his presence and brag. Because there's no bragging about being saved. 
um, I mean, not only did, I mean, he had to call us to himself. He had to bring us to life, call us, and then he's going, he took us. So to say that election takes place in time based upon actions of men is to deny the immutability, the perfection, and the infinite God. It robs God of his divinity. Um, and then there's all kinds of scripture about that. Uh, turn with me. Actually, we're going to be at 2 Thessalonians for a little bit, for the next few points. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13, and that's the way I always, my desire is to always teach the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, of election, unconditional election, of limited atonement, all of those things. My desire is to always to teach it in a love and a desire for other people of God to see it, who do not see it. Because it's a blessing to you. It's, it's not, you know, like I said, I don't want to come up here and abuse people who can't see it because it's a gift of God to see it. So all, all I can do then is pray that the Lord gives you the gift of, of this doctrine. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, Brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, isn't that wonderful? I mean, that just brings my heart so much relief of any kind of worry that I'm saved because it's God who saved me. It's God who called me. It is by his power. And he's going to accomplish. He's going to get what he paid for. And he paid for me. And I pray he's paid for you. And every one of us should, should know that in our hearts, that God's not going to fail. He's going to get you. And he's going to get you in the end. No matter Sometimes through life you may think that, you know, just darkness and overcast and I'm going through this and going through that and pain of life and the grief in life. You just seem weary. And sometimes you may even think you're unloved. But no, God loves you. He loves you. He's never not loved you. That's amazing to me. And the price which he made to secure our souls, to purchase us. And then, because if he were to, if something were to happen and your salvation fall apart, who does that look bad on? That looks bad on God. And then that what Moses said, Lord, I know you want to, to, <laughs> to get rid of all of these Israelites who are not believing you, but the world's watching. And if you do that, they're going to say you weren't able but I tell you, it's more than just that. The Lord has secured us because he loves us. And for his name's sake, we shall be delivered. Now, the plain scriptures teach the doctrine of election. So some may even object some more. They'll say uh, election takes place when we are saved because we are elected in Christ. And that's what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says. But that, that very same passage actually 
the, the passage that they use uh, there, uh, if you want to turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that's kind of, I think, the, the, the verse we started with. So they'll say, well, in, in verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So Arminians will say, oh, God elected us once we were in him. That's, that's what this means. But at the same, the, you know, the verse that they're using is actually refuting their claim because we see the eternality of when God did the choosing. Us, God choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world was that we would be in the position of in Christ. That's the only way that God could choose us unto salvation was because we would be in the position of Jesus Christ and uh, in imputed righteousness. That's how. We have, Jesus was the, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We, it, imputed righteousness has always been the plan. So, the elect are chosen in Christ in eternity. Well, some will object and say that election only applies to people who are saved because you'll only hear uh, people being called the elect who are saved people. But actually, there's several places in Scripture where it refers to those who have not been saved yet as the elect. Uh, just a couple of those places. John 10, 16, Jesus says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. That's a future tense. And they shall hear my voice, and they will. So there are some that uh, Jesus has sheep that he has not called by his voice yet. They've been elected, but they've not been called yet. Remember 828? That's kind of a chronology, the order of which the way God does it. Well, there are some in second, well, second Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, not the current saved elect, because listen to this. He says that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, meaning they haven't yet. The, the idea of missions and the idea of going out and evangelism is we endure, like Paul says, all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation and the glory of Jesus Christ. So we know that God has an elect. They may not be right now saved, but God has a specific time and a date that they will be, because he will lose none. So further considerations, we have the eternality of election is clearly seen in scriptures. Election did not happen in time. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The elect sheep were given to Christ before the world ever began. In Acts 13, 48, it says of the Gentiles, And as many as were ordained unto life, eternal life, believed. So they were ordained unto eternal life before they believed. That means that they were elected. They were chosen in Christ before they came to repentance and faith. And then, of course, second, the, we were just there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, God hath from the beginning 
chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Sanctification of the Spirit, as I've said many times, is separation. Sanctification is separation. First Peter says the same thing, that we've been sanctified by the blood, that we've been set apart. And in Hebrews, didn't we see the same thing, that imputed, through imputed righteousness, through the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and His redemption, We've been sanctified. We've been brought to Him. We've been sought, bought, and brought by Jesus Christ, by God. We've been sought, bought, and brought. He did it all. He did it all. And He will not fail. So we see, I don't, we may have to do a part two, but let me give you the, just the, the topics that we will be talking about. I won't go into all of them. Election was personal, individual, and particular. Those who do not know or reject the sovereign election cannot deny that election is taught in the scriptures. So they have to do something with the election. And next week we'll talk more about what they do with the election. Um, and finally, just one more time, I, I want to, the benefits of understanding the doctrine of election. First of all, it brings God glory. It exalts God. It brings us where we need to be. We need to be low. Everything is to the praise of God and His glory. There's not one thing that we can look to ourselves and say, I'm glad I did that. Okay? It is God who brought you, who gave you by His gift, the gift of repentance and faith and belief in Him. And He has secured you as His possession. His inheritance, his, his permanent and eternal possession of God. So, secondly, it stimulates our faith. I mean, how much, think about what faith is. Faith is the belief in the object of our faith. Faith, real faith is not looking at us, it's looking at him. And when we see his mighty and accomplished and finished work forever and ever, the more we look to him, the more it brings our, and strengthens our faith. It gives the most enduring foundation of eternal security. It excludes all boasting. It provides the right motive in evangelism. Like I said, um, you know, those who do not believe in the doctrine of unconditional election and going about doing evangelism, they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves and to them, it's like a Black Friday sale. You know, I got to go out and I got to persuade as many people as I can. And I'm sorry, I, I think I, I violated my own rule. I did not mean to ridicule or abuse people who do not see the doctrines of grace. But if you are honest with yourself and you would be honest with yourself by saying, if God's power is not in it, when they repent and believe, just like Lazarus. Remember, Jesus called Lazarus, didn't he? When, did Lazarus, when was Lazarus able to hear and obey Jesus? When Jesus gave him the power to raise, then Lazarus could respond. Now, if mankind, if you have to understand total depravity, if you're saying that man can respond to the spiritual things of God, 
Uh, we're going to talk about that next week. There's a lot of scriptural violation that you're, you're, you're kind of dancing in right there. Then what you're essentially saying is that by my power of evangelism, I can persuade people to be saved. That's essentially what you mean. If I can't persuade you to believe God, trust in Jesus Christ, and if you don't do it, then it's my fault. And that's wrong. It's so many fundamentally ways that is wrong. But we know that it's of God. It is God. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but it's God that showeth mercy. There's a beautiful doctrine of election, and I know most of us in here are completely understand and we love this doctrine because it brings so much glory to God and it, like I said entices our faith but those who may be under the sound of my voice may not have that same beautiful gift and we pray that the Lord just opens their eyes to see this amazing doctrine of God all right let's pray Heavenly Father thank you Lord for this day Father we pray Lord that you'll be glorified that you'll be exalted that we may lift up your son that every heart may leave here, Father, saying how good you are, how good and gracious and merciful and kind, and in love, Father, how you saved us. Today, Father, may your truth just be spoken without compromise, without apology. Father, may we just sow the seed of your word, and Father, just step back and watch how you bless. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.